You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Say hello to my little friend. To infinity and beyond. Like tears in rain. On Wednesdays we wear pink. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Tears looking at you, kid. You talking to me? You're gonna need a bigger boat. You'll always have Paris. And welcome back to another episode of Films and Friends. My name is Josh. I am joined as ever by Tobias. Hello again. Welcome back. And this week we are joined by Torv. Hi guys. How's it going? So uh, Torv, how about to start these? It's just for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, what do you do and how do you know either myself or Tobias? Um, so I am a student at the University of Manchester. I've just finished my first year. I study management, um, specialising in international business economics um i am a secretary of the christian union and that's about all i really do i don't write or post or do much else <laughs> well you play hockey i mean that is uh, one oh, of yeah, ice sorry, hockey yes, which is one of the coolest yes. things yeah sorry i play ice hockey for the um team it doesn't belong to a specific university in manchester if you go to if you do a degree in manchester you can play for the team um that's the manchester metros um yeah, and I know Tobias because, or Toby, because uh, I lived with him last academic year. Yeah, it was it was funny. We basically it was when when my uh, friend Luca and I decided to live together. We were like, yeah, we'll just be the two of us. It's fine. We found this place. It was great. And then they were like, you need a third housemate. The landlord was difficult, and they were like, you need to find someone in twenty four hours. So we put an open call. Um, got a couple of strange people, but the strangest of them all was Torvald. So um, we got him in. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But no, honestly, turned out really well. Um, finding a stranger online to be a housemate kind of scary, but it worked. Yeah, that's where I, that's where I work. Well, <laughs> as long as you're using something like Facebook and not like Craigslist. See, oh yeah. Spare room was what we used first, yeah, and good. it was weird. Um, but Facebook, yeah, it was on FSG that you um, contacted us, right? Yeah, I because uh, I started my access course that year. I was uh, I was just living up here because I decided to quit my job and start studying. Um, so yeah, I moved up to Manchester, and Amaya, who's well, I'm marrying her on Monday the twentieth, so we'll be in the past. Uh, <laughs> so I'm getting married and two days um yeah so we i was staying at her house because she hadn't come up yet because my course started on like i think september the third or something um and obviously her store started uh sort of mid-september late september so i was just staying at her house for a while and then um i was sort of thinking right i need to actually look for a house um and she said well have a look on valerfield students group somebody always comes up and literally within a day or two it came up and yeah just responded was like hi i'm desperate for a house because i don't have one so yeah it worked out really well it has just occurred to me that you are the first engagee we have on, we've had on the podcast. So Probably also the oldest person you've interviewed. I have absolutely no idea. I I, no, I should have should should draw a I'll graph. Just, I'll, just, be. I'll just claim it. I'll just accept it and just take the title. You may as well. I think the at this boomer. point. I reckon if you average out the age, I reckon average age twenty one point six. Okay, <laughs> that's what I, reckon. I love how specific you are about it. <laughs> It's always better when you do something really specific. Here's a tip for you, actually, before we get on to films. If you ever have to get a number, always go for a really specific one. Because if you get it close to the specific one, it looks cooler than getting it relatively close to a generic one. Right. But you're, bo- you're, bo- you're, boring, it. you're boring the people. Come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to films. So, uh, so the... Torv, yeah. Yes. First question is favourite films, actors, genres, directors. And you've, you've put on a, you know, a pretty broad spectrum, but... I think it'd be really good to start on sport films, seeing as yesterday you and I hung out and watched Rocky Four. So what is it about <laughs> sport films that you love? Um, yeah, so I just find, like, obviously there's that natural anticipation, there's that sort of uh, the build-up, there's that excitement. And I think as, as somebody who has watched sports, like, my entire life, um, you know, that you just sort of get that excitement and you really get built into it. And I get so invested in films. Um, you know, so I just feel like when you're watching it, you obviously got, sometimes it's not about the good guy and the bad guy and nobody's done anything necessarily evil per se. And it's not really a story in that regard, but sometimes it's just, you know, leads itself to it. So, um, one of my favorite sports films, probably Miracle, um, story of the 1986 Winter Olympics, the U S teams beats the, uh, the Russian, the Soviet team at the time. 
who are like undefeated and i just found like the the whole story and it's a it's based on a true story that based on true real people um and if you ever get a chance to watch it it's it's brilliant i think you know honestly one of my favorite films in there just yeah just i just find that there's that natural sort of juxtaposition you've got two sides and you're always following the story of one um and just learning about how they win and how they're going to win you know the morals that come with it with sport learning that sports bigger than just a case of like scoring a goal and calling it a day you know you look at films like coach carter and he teaches them how to be and how to act right and stuff i just feel like yeah it's it's got more to do than just sport but it's obviously a, a really good medium do you have a specific sport that you like your films to be based on or any kind of sport films at all um i like i don't really watch football um i i've grown up in a white south african household so football doesn't really feature um i've watched rugby most of my life uh but i play ice hockey because my dad's actually swedish um but yeah no i don't really mind if it's basketball like i say coach carter if it's nfl like remember the titans or whatever it is um you know i don't really mind too much like as long as it keeps me entertained i've got no problems i've always I'm thought kind of the best kind of um sports films always tend to be based on boxing for some reason i think I was thinking about that. I was watching um, the fight the other day, the Christian Bale one, and I thought that oh, was yes. like that was one of the best. I think that's one of the probably one of the best sports films I've ever seen. I think it's pretty much it's pretty up there because it's just kind of like I think the whole thing about kind of the underdog story is really sort of powerful when you're sort of watching mm. people get punched in the face, kind of visceral, <laughs> kind of like because I think it does. I think a lot of it, it boxing especially, like any kind of like fighting films, makes mm. sport feel a lot more high stakes because like winning's winning, but when you're like actually in genuine danger of being like knocked unconscious i think that really does add sort of a secondary element to the kind of like sort of danger of the whole piece i think yeah yeah i think you know we were talking um i was actually talking to toby about it uh, yesterday you know we were talking about um you've got you know there are obviously you've got the rocky films that are there but um talking about warrior which is more sort of mixed martial arts mm. um and i said that the fighter you know i, I love that film and i think um again like you look at christian bale's story and about how he's you know he's at like more of a he's not as accomplished and he's retired and he's struggling with you know drug addiction and i think that's really really important to see that there's this gritty side of it it's not just all sort of like oh yeah i'm a retired boxer and you know i've got millions of sports cars and stuff one thing you did say a second ago about the film you're talking about about the winter olympics something's quite Mm. interesting about that is i assume like is that in, when you were talking about sort of the um, so it's the US versus like the USSR? Is it very much mm. in the same vein as sort of like the kind of Rocky Four communist versus capitalist kind of like thing, or is it just happens to be those people, or is there kind of like proper? Because I feel like Rocky Four is very propaganda heavy. Uh, yes, no, that we yeah we watched it yesterday pretty much for that specific purpose because of the uh, you know US versus Russia and I think because it's based on a true story the miracle on ice uh, yeah. Russia were undefeated they were this incredible hockey nation um, there's a documentary that used to be on Netflix I don't know if it's still there but it's called the Red Army and it's based about that and you can um, you hear from players who were playing in Russia mm. some of them then defected to play in the US um, to play in the NHL uh, so it, it it lends itself to it. It was happening in the eighties, so you know, it was a lot of it was, it was crucial at the time. So I think it was more affected by the fact that there was all this propaganda, like you know, anti-Russian. Uh, but in the film itself, it's you know, I think it's made in nineties. Uh, I'm not too uh, sure. Two thousand four, it was released. Two thousand four, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's 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 less sort of subject to the whole sort of like U.S. is good, Russia is bad. It's more a case of they're an unbel- unbelievable team. They're they are expected to be unbeatable. Mm. The US are non-professional players. Uh, they're just college, like they come out of college and instead of going straight to the NHL to make sign like big bucks, they go and there's, it's all about this, uh, uh, this sort of coach, this maverick of a coach who just comes in. He has trials and everything, but before the trials have basically even started, he's got his team sheet down and he knows exactly who he wants to have in. There's, there's some incredible, powerful scenes, but as I say, it's based on, you know, on a true story and, based on accounts that the, the players have given uh herb brooks is the, the coach and he passed away before the film uh came out but you know he they, there's like a bit at the end of the credits where it's like herb brooks didn't live to see the film but he lived through it or something but well that sounds quite nice like a tribute to an amazing coach and how he brought the team together to 
have a miracle win uh, to not not to play on the pun but yeah <laughs> it, it sounds good it sounds good I, I will check it out because yeah I do 1980 say, sorry. 1980 Olympics 1980 Olympics okay mm. yeah it's just sport films there is that element the, the fact that the good guy bad guy is just it boils down to simple sports rivalry and it's a lot more than that mm. because sports films a lot of them aren't about sports they're about people yeah which is what we were saying about rocky one when we were talking yesterday you were saying how rocky two to five are boxing films but rocky one the boxing only really becomes a huge part of the film in the climax but the rest of it is about rocky balboa the person yeah so you know you watch this film and it's about you know people who struggle and he's you know he's not exactly your uh, your your shining light of morality in the world. He's a lone shark and he boxes and he does like dirty fights for like $40 at a time. Obviously it's like based in 1975, I think. But at the same time, he's, you know, he's doing this just because he could have been something. And he's, what I like about it, it's no, no one's purely good and no one's purely bad. There's this, the people are realistic. Whereas, you know, we watch two to five and, you know, Rocky's this, you know, incredible, amazing, you know, person and he's just done everything and he could do no wrong and it's not his fault in five when he loses his fortune and i just yeah i feel like it's they're more they're more films based around boxing whereas the boxing just comes into it and it's uh, a, a medium or sort of like a, a, a you know a vessel for the for the story to sort of develop through i think that's what makes it so um good as it, and i was i was saying like you watch Sylvester Stallone and he's, you know, he, he, he comes across in the role as not intelligent and not able to, you know, string much of a conversation together. And the little comments he makes and the little nuances to his actual character of Rocky in the first one is really well, good at portraying somebody who isn't, you know, and you, you watch it and you sort of think, well, you know, how could he have written and directed this film at the same time as acting in it? But it just, it's a testament to, um, what he could do and the oscar was well deserved i think yeah i mean it's always said quite a lot like how uh, rocky beat taxi driver for the best picture that year and admittedly mm-hmm. i have seen i did watch the first rocky a couple months ago and i really wasn't that set on it i, I do think taxi driver is a better film but at the same time i do also agree that yeah Ro- there is there is something sort of innately powerful about rocky and also the fact it is one of the first kind of like it is sort of a, a, a sort of theme the sort of underdog theme that has been sort of yeah. aped so many times since and i think it really did sort of set the tr- it did basically it, it's basically the blueprint for how to make a really engaging sports film and i think it does i think where it does sort of balance that quite good line between sort of the people base and also the if you made a film purely about boxing it'd be really boring if it was just about the people and not the boxing it would also be boring because it wouldn't be a boxing film and i think it, it is sort of it's sort of holy grail i think that sort of ratio of maybe like two-thirds sort of people and about a third of actual sport is probably like the golden ratio for an actual sort of film and another one that does it really well is um i don't know if either of you ever seen the, the damn united which is a film about a british football manager with brian clough and yeah, as someone who doesn't really like football that much, I went into it thinking I'm probably not going to like it that much. But it's more about the man himself, and there's a, there is obviously got a fair few like football scenes in it. But yeah, it's much more about the man himself and like what it meant to the cities that he managed, rather than just being oh, a, a 22 people kicking a ball around a field for an hour and a half and they win sometimes. Okay, I haven't seen that one, but um, I'll I'll have to check that one out before we move on to the other films that you say you quite enjoy. Last night you watched um, Icarus, Icarus, per my recommendation. And Icarus, for those who don't know what it's about, it's a documentary on Netflix about... Well, initially, the the filmmaker, he set out to make a film about doping. He wanted to figure out what doping was about in the cycling world, and he said, well, look, I'm going to get in touch with scientists and doctors. I'm going to do some doping. Not in races, but he was going to do it for his own testing purposes. And as it goes along, he ended up uncovering the whole Russian doping scandal <laughs> as it goes through. It's really quite something. But what do you think of it, Because you were texting me as you watched it. Um, well, I, I started watching it. I got like a minute and a half in. And then my fiance, my, you know, like, ah, she, she, was, she was bored and didn't have anything to do. So I was like, oh, let's watch it together. And um, 
uh, when I started watching it, it was light out. And then by the time I, you know, sort of got to the conspiracy part, it was dark outside and I had no lights on in my flat. And I was pretty about 98.6. There you go, Josh, uh, mm-hmm. percent sure that the KGB were waiting outside to murder me for uncovering this. Um, it was <laughs> so heavy because, as you say, there's this guy who's just like, well, you know, Lance Armstrong did it why let's see what it does how does my performance change you know and he goes into the he does this amateur event where they say they do drug testing but they don't really and he sort of wants to see what he can do to his performance how it it affects that but also see if he can um outsmart wada who are like the world anti-doping association and he sort of wants to see how much he can do he tries getting in touch with a doc like a, a professor who who decides he doesn't want to help him because it could affect his career, you know, but it could look dodgy helping people to get away with it. So he gets in touch with this other guy and then, yeah, it just all ensues. And the cycling is about 25% of the documentary. You watch it and you get about 40 minutes through of a two hour documentary and it's, and you're sort of thinking, okay, he's finished his cycling event. The sort of cycling documentary is over. And I sort of moved the mouse as I was watching it on Netflix and I, I realized I've still got another hour and a half to go where is this possibly going? And then it just all unfolds. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. Like this whole story is just, it's, it's almost unbelievable. And I had to Google it and do a research about the people who are there and, you know, the people involved. It's absolutely madness. I mean, it's, it's so crazy. It's one of these films, not films, documentaries that you're watching. And you think mm. there is fiction that isn't as wild as this is. Mm. Yeah. You hear, I, you know, I used to listen to this podcast and it was hosted by, uh, you know, some American sports people and, you know, the way they talk about Putin and Russia and you sort of think, well, okay, you're biased. You know, you've been brainwashed your entire life to hate Russia and think it's the worst country in the world and all that stuff. And then you sort of watch a documentary like this and you're sort of thinking, okay, this guy is dodgy. Like, you just, yeah, no, I can't, I can't, I couldn't fathom it. You can't make that up. You just... You just couldn't. Um, but there's a little bit of that in the documentary Red Army, where they talk about how they were coached. And you, they basically, so this is about the ice hockey team when Russia was so dominant, or the Soviet Russia was so dominant. And they're basically saying like their their coaches were, uh, you know, ice hockey coaches and stuff. And then when things weren't going well, a, a legitimate KGB officer was given the role of coaching the ice hockey team, despite the fact he never played ice hockey. He was just told to coach them. And it just, yeah, it's incredible. And the fact Nuts. that they were, yeah, they're, they're training regimes. They were put up in these little like dinky flats and, you know, like made to train. And they were amateur players, so they weren't paid for it, but they were just, yeah, they were, their training regimen was unreal and they were playing. And there's a bit afterwards, one of the guys who defected and played in the US um, in the NHL, he said, like, you know, he said he got paid like millions of dollars and he was one of the best players in the NHL at the time. And he says he still, the time he enjoyed his hockey the most was playing for the USSR, which it sounds crazy. But, you know, when you see what the things that they were able to do and the way that they were just able to click and communicate and how dominant they were, it kind of yeah it's 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 hard to fathom but again it's 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 real life you can't really make that stuff up and before we move on to other stuff i need i need to say this it's been eating me up and it's what i wanted to tell you earlier and it combines reality being stranger than fiction and boxing <laughs> i just okay. saw a news n- news um article in on complex Discovery Channel have announced that for Shark Week, Mike Tyson is going to fight a shark. (laughs) No more explanation on how he's doing it, but he's going to fight a great white shark. I I mean, Um... I I don't really hold out much hopes for that, to be honest, because they actually (laughs) bottled it with the whole Michael Phelps thing. Because they went for the whole, oh, Michael Phelps is going to race a shark. Oh, that sounds sick. Then you realise they actually just did it with a CGI shark and worked out. Yeah, that was terrible. You would have thought they would have actually physically separated them and got them to actually do it. That would have been been cool. Like, watching him race a CGI shark is just boring. It's pointless, isn't it? Like, you could work it out with a calculator. Yeah, Yeah, but it's... Are they going to do go it on. maybe with like, are they going to do it with like, maybe like the computer they use and measure, you know, his punch like they do with Ivan Drogo and then be right. Okay. Well, cause 
they say you're supposed to punch a shark on the nose if it's coming at you. So they're trying to figure out that if you punched it on the nose, would it kill it? Or what's, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's, well, the, what's the angle there? Can Mike Tyson punch a hole in a shark? <laughs> I, I don't think yeah. Peter would be very happy with it. They're just like, yeah, we're just going to kill a shark. I'm just imagining yeah, one of those. I'm just imagining one of those punching machines, but with like a, one of those like shark heads just attached to it, and him just <laughs> lamping it, and just the, the, the LED screen on top telling him how hard he hit it. <laughs> yeah. You have successfully that's... killed the shark. And then they do the same for the shark. They put like a little, you know, like but has the, the shark has to bite onto it and see what happens. And, yeah, I think. I mean, it depends what surface this is happening. If this were to happen on dry land, I mean, yeah. Mike Tyson would be with the shot. However, I just. No, I watched the thing the other day, and he said he doesn't like violence, and he's a complete pacifist now. So I highly doubt he's going to go and punch a shark in the face. This is definitely going to be CGI. <laughs> or, or measure it like, yeah, he punches this hard. This is the damage it would do to a shark. None. Uh, cool. Thanks for watching. <laughs> I've gone on the internet to search this up. So it's called um, Tyson versus Jaws Rumble on the Reef. <laughs> and then, oh, here's, here's the question. And the 54 will take part in the underwater stunt stunt on 9th of August in the name of, and then in inverted commas, scientific research. <laughs> and you'll like this. Which, and who have they got to um, sort of commentate the fight? Joe Rogan. Uh, Michael Buffer. Oh, yes! <laughs> so, yeah, I. And he says, and there's a thing about Mike Tyson talking about it, and it says here he's equating this with overcoming his fear of getting back in the ring. So apparently right. he's going to bring him closer to God. I'm this is gen, genuine quotes. Um, <laughs> yeah, God knows what. That is that is the most bizarre thing I've seen all day. That is truly, truly magical. <laughs> So to sort of take yeah. it back to um, films, so other things on your list here of sort of your favourite films, one of the ones that caught my eye is uh, Leon, The Professional. Yes, oh my word, I love that film. What, what yeah. is it about? Uh, I think it's just, again, it's like you've got these characters who are, they're not sort of, obviously, I mean, Gary Oldman plays this horrible evil guy and you're sort of thinking, wow, this is like, but I think it's just also the fact that it doesn't seem like a massive budget Hollywood film. You've got young Natalie Portman, I think, in her first role. You've got uh, Jean Reno, who my family like adore. Um, it's just uh, yeah, and you've got Gary Oldman, who's I mean, let's be honest, you couldn't really ask for a better bad guy. Uh, yeah, and he's just this is he's an assassin. He goes around killing people. He's naive. He can't read. Uh, and I think it's just the fact that there's this depth to these characters, and you know, you turn out turns out that Gary Oldman. Is you know you, you you know he's a bad guy and then it just turns out that he's worth and worth and worth and I think yeah it's just a, the 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 film the premise is yeah it's a bit far fetched but I think it's brilliant you know they've got the Jean Reno who's just complete and utter like you, you just can't mess with him you just he's so tough he's he's just the hardest guy in the world like <laughs> and and yeah it's brilliant it's I I think it's so underrated as far as films go you know um, yeah he just he goes through and and he'll slaughter like an entire building full of people and he just teaches natalie portman how to kill people i, I just, it seems so so ridiculous but at the same time when you watch the film it's this little girl who's who's now orphaned and she wants to learn from her neighbor how to kill people for money right brilliant it is i still need to watch it. it it is definitely one of those um sort of sort of kind of because arguably you would say it is an action film but actually it yeah. is more it is very much more about the people themselves and also hmm. i think it's is it's sort of a sort of as it sort of it's a portrait of an assassin sort of the more you learn about sort of like his ethical because it's very hmm. it's very clever in the sense that it, leon the sort of eponymous sort of assassin he's very much hmm. about his sort of moral code and how he equates like being what is it fairly he's a, seems like a fairly like kind of all right guy with sort of killing people for money and I think also, like, yeah, and there are some fantastic sort of action set pieces in it, but at the same time, it's not just, like, the expendables just blowing stuff up and shooting people. There is actually quite a lot of, like, heart and sort of, especially, yeah, the sort of relationship between him and Natalie Portman is a bit weird at times, but I think, obviously, it's meant to be like that. And it does it, it does make you uncomfortable, but at the same time, it is it, it sort of adds a really interesting dimension to the film rather than just, like, sort of the whole, like, it's not like kind of like you could say it's like the Karate Kid, but this time it's an assassin. It's definitely got sort of multiple facets to it, and it is actually yeah, genuinely one of the most interesting kind of like action films, definitely from the '90s, if not of all time. 
yeah i mean as you say it's about the people and and it, yeah it's like almost like the killing people for money is just a you know it's just a vessel for the like story to go through you know and they i think the way that they do it and the way he's like this naive guy who just does it because he you know he's he, this is guy who's who he thinks is his friend you know who who's taken him under his wing and sort of told him and taught him how to do it and helped him through it and he sort of like looks after his money wink wink nudge nudge and yeah just the whole way it all unfolds and then you know natalie portman's character you know at the end she she wants to start working and he says well i'll you know i'll look after the money and you sort of think well, this guy's dodgy but you just yeah like everybody's got this sort of like dark side to them they i like films where nobody's like purely good and purely bad but i, I you know there's nobody in that film who's particularly good um, <laughs> that's it's it's that sort of like gritty dark thing and you know he just all he does is drink milk and look after his piece lily and kill people for money that's yeah that's leon <laughs> well you talk about no one being purely good and purely bad and i think that is most perfectly embodied in one of the actors you talk about in your least favorite section and that is nick cage oh Yes. What what is your beef with Nick Cage? Because everyone has some, and it can be very justified. So please justify your beef. I feel like he, you know, in the nineties and so on, he was doing you know films that were quite like you know quite good, and they were going there, and they were sort of going along. And then he decided that any film that would cross his desk, I think, I think was it uh, College Humor did like a sketch where one of the guys was playing. Uh, Nicholas Cage's agent and they were getting phone calls about like oh you know this guy wants you to you know you're gonna voice a peach or something like that and he's like yeah I'll do it sounds amazing and just <laughs> just takes every role that you could possibly imagine and you know the films that they he came out with, I mean Ghost Rider was was the last straw for me like that after that I just stopped watching Nicholas Cage films like you watch I mean, Con Air and, Con Air. and that's like you know it's, it's it's like I, I enjoyed that film. I thought you know that's cool. It's got sort of different facets to it, but you know it's a bit ridiculous. But Ghost Rider, and then came out with something called like Drive Angry or whatever. And then Drive Angry, yeah. Film, I just film upon film upon film that came out that you're so forgettable, and I just Left Behind. Have you heard of that <sighs> one? I haven't. No. Basically, it's a film about the Rapture. Okay. But it's but it's one of these films which was made by like a very preachy American um, Christian lobby where they okay. essentially were like, no, no, we, we need to make people know that um, if you're a sinner, it's the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you. So it's the rapture. But of course, as the rapture is depicted in so many films, um, just chaos breaks out instantly. Just people driving cars through buildings and just <laughs> anarchy. And he's in it. And it's just... It's, it's just confusing. But like, why would he do that? I, yeah, I mean, unless he's got some, you know, incredible debt or something, or I don't know what it is. He, I, I just don't understand how he could justify taking this position that he has in, you know, he was like one of the A-listers. He was right up there and he's just destroyed his own name. I mean, you watch him in Face Off and that, that yeah, I mean, his acting in that is um <clears throat> well i mean especially in the opening scene i think he like he's dressed up like a, a a priest or something like that and there's this choir and he walks up behind this young lady and sort of gropes her and pulls this very strange face and you know he just yeah he's acting and then as he plays john travolta's character and later on in the film it just yeah i think it's just everything you need to know about nicholas cage is that he started off being really big and he did stuff, but he just can't act. And his film choice and career has gone down the toilet. Yeah. See, I'm not. I'm not convinced. I think that. I think he makes very bad career decisions. But I actually don't think he is that bad an actor. And I, because I watched. Um, I watched. Oh, I'm trying to think what it's called. Is the. I'm looking up. Got it. Lord of War, which came out. So that's like 2005, and it's yes. playing like an arms dealer, like a sort of morally yes. conflicted one. And I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the better. Um, it's basically what really is. It really showed me what Iron Man one kind of almost did, but I think it does mm. the whole kind of conflicted arms dealer better. I mean, it would always be better if at some point Nick Cage had become Iron Man. Clearly, but I feel like it really did sort of like tap into that kind of um, idea of. Um, sort of yeah moral conflict as someone who is arguably one of the worst people in the world sort of selling 
sort of arms to um sort of uh basically effectively selling them to um war criminals in sort of various places in Africa that are being used to like maim children and arm child soldiers and whatever. And I think his performance at that is actually really good. And also I've heard I some think, very good yeah. things about sort of the work he's been doing recently in kind of horror. So I heard good things about that like Mandy and like Colour Out of Space. It's meant to be quite good, I, I hear. But having not seen them, I can't quite comment on that. But yeah, he's also in Spider-Man's Into the Spider-Verse, which is excellent. And he's pretty good at voice acts. He voice acts the black and white Spider-Man, doesn't he? Yeah, Spider-Man. Yes. yes, he does. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, I agree with you. He he does have, and yes, Lord of War is is a good film, and I think you know he does he can act well, but his role selection because he needs to know what's in his wheelhouse and what he can and can't do his range and yeah, and every you know like the the films that he start you know started doing later on, he just always has some mental breakdown midway through the film, and yeah, it's just yeah, I think he's become a caricature of what he could you know what could be if he'd had a better you know as you say he made better bad. Uh, career choices if he'd made better career choices and sort of acted in roles that his acting ability or style could have lent itself to i think he'd be you know still very popular but you know doing b and c list films now it's just yeah not, not all that great anymore see the film i watched this week with um nick cage in was the sorcerer's apprentice and i'd never heard of it before ever i was scrolling through twitter and i got a tweet come up and it was from magic today in magic gathering history or something and it was saying that one of the bad guys in the film has a sponsorship from wizards of the coast and he has a poster with him that says magic the gathering and basically within the film he is the biggest um magician in the world and i'd never seen it and uh, becca was saying you you need to watch this like we're watching it now so we opened up Disney Plus, which had it. I watched it and was pleasantly surprised by how enjoyable it is. From a technical level to the story, it's all just a lot of fun and really well made. I watched it when it first came out in the cinema. I think I tweeted you when you tweeted about it to say I'd yeah. seen it. And I said it was, from what I remember from 10 years ago, it was pretty good. And I think, yeah, it was pretty It's got thingy in it. It's got that guy who was... Um, in, in in all those um, Seth Rogen films, is it D- Jay Bushrell? Yeah, uh, Jay Bushrell. Yeah, Bushrell. Yeah. yeah, and he's pretty. I think I remember him being pretty decent in it. But yeah, I think I I really I kind of now you mention it, I should probably go and give that another watch because I really enjoyed it when I first saw it. Like having said, yeah, ten years ago, bloody hell. I highly recommend it because I looked up the CGI studio that worked on the film because CG for a film from twenty ten it really really holds up when compared to films from that era and the studio that did that cgi most recently did endgame not all of it but some of the cg on endgame they did work on the lion king and all sorts Mm -hmm. of films i mean they are best of the best and the other thing you have on here which i want to challenge you on is spider-man 3 yeah why <laughs> I, I so Spider-Man One and Two. I love those films quite a lot. Toby Maguire Spider-Man One and Two. Just so the audience is clear. Here. Yes. Well, that the the title is Spider-Man One and well, it's just Spider-Man and then Spider-Man Two. So, yeah. Um, you get those from Toby Maguire, best Spider-Man. Um, yeah. Like me. Um. Uh. And he, you know, I love those films. And then you have have. Toby Maguire trying to play of like emo, edgy kind of guy. And there's that scene where he's walking down the street and he's like doing the finger guns and then does that dance outside the like discount suit store. And I oh I cry every time. Like it just it it ruins it. You yeah, I just feel like he, he they take it and it just goes bad and like and you've got James Franco playing this sleazy guy, which, you know, given current circumstances probably isn't so far out of his wheelhouse. But um, yeah, I just, I really <laughs> struggle what, like enjoying that film. I will happily watch Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 with Tony McGuire in them and enjoy them and have a great time. But if I watch that film, it's just this, there's, there's so much bad with it. It's just like, I feel like spending the entire time with just pointing at the film, like this is what's wrong with it. I just, I don't enjoy it at all, at all. 
the problem well, is. I want to defend it. Well, go on, Josh. You first. I was going to say the problem is the fact that there are so many, um, there are so many good aspects of that film that get overshadowed by that kind of horrific. That admittedly, that scene is absolutely horrific. It's the most awkward, <laughs> the most awkward thing ever committed to film, in my opinion. But I mean, like, <laughs> the, the, the like the the like, Sandman himself is actually a really good villain, and his his the story, the story, his sort of origin story, and sort of why he d- does what he does is actually really interesting. And especially that scene when just after he gets turned into. Sandman, he tries to like pick up the ring, but it just falls through his hands because he is now made of sand. Unsurprisingly, I think that's actually really like kind of emotionally resonant. And also, like Venom isn't bad in it. I, I think the character himself, it's Toe for Grace, isn't? Isn't it's, it's a bit kind of like hammy, but I think it's it's not bad. It's just the fact you kind of cram all that together, then you put the James Franco plot into it as well. It is hugely overstuffed, and when you have a film that's already because kind of, it gets a bit tedious towards the end. I think adding the tediousness with the kind of horrific awkwardness of that scene, I think it does give the film a kind of bad, leaves you with a very bad taste. Because I think there are genuinely quite likeable aspects of the film. And I don't think it quite deserves the kicking it gets from most people. I mean, is it, I mean that scene itself is probably deserving of a huge kicking. But I, mean, I don't think it's. I don't think. I don't think it's that bad. I think comparatively it is, but I don't think it's that bad. Well. Allow me to defend it, though. I do agree that it's messy. It's messy, it's overstuffed, there is really awkward decisions. But when you consider why it is the way it is, I think it all kind of makes sense. Because mm. if you think of it, it's directed by Sam Raimi, who did the Evil Dead trilogy. And Evil Dead 1, sure, was a serious-ish horror film. But then the rest of the trilogy was just... He just went crazy with it and made it this B-movie blood and gore and comedy mixed together that is really quite shocking. So if you give the man who made that the power to adapt a comic book, a superhero comic book, I guess this is what you get. I don't know. I think yeah. the, 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 the second one's so good, though. I think Spider-Man Two is probably my favourite superhero film. I think because it is just it really is excellent, and I don't understand how you go from that to absolutely ruining the next one. And I think the problem is, yeah, is that thing. And I think that there is a lot of like kind of interviews with him talking about what he had planned for it and how the stu- it was the studio kind of forced his hand to get all three of the villains into it when actually you didn't need all of them. You could happily have one of them and make something that was much tighter and a lot more sort of engaging to watch. Yeah, I think I remember hearing that there was a lot of conflict in making that film and, you know, a lot of people really didn't in like, the, yeah, it, it frayed a lot of relationships and... You take, yeah, you take two great films, they work well together, they sort of think, you know, you can, people kicked off because it didn't stick true to the comic books as much as, you know, it could have, but whatever. Um, it was, they were good films and they were really enjoyable. Um, and yeah, and then they just, they crab, yeah, they just forced too much into it. And you could have possibly, you know, taken some of it out and made a fourth film. But yeah, it's like they made one and a half films and then squeezed it into one and, yeah, and then you had the cliche bad guy who's turned good at the end, who's now dead. Like hmm. whole thing with, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just really don't enjoy it. Like, is it the worst film in the world? No. Do I enjoy it? No. You know, like if yeah. So I don't, I don't hate it with, with a white passion. I just really don't enjoy it, and I won't watch it again. The most truly baffling thing about it is how on earth they managed to do it again the second time with Amazing Spider-Man 2. They still decided to cram multiple villains into it, even though it had gone so badly the first time. I mean, admittedly, Jay yeah. Fox is... I, well, I don't know what the character is. Uh, Electro, isn't it? Cause I was thinking, yeah, Electro. I was thinking he was frozen for some reason, but he's not. He's electric, <laughs> isn't it? It's, not, it's nothing to do yeah. with freezing powers. But yeah, and then you have like Dane DeHaan as um, you have him as what's uh, the Green Goblin again. So you would think you would learn the lesson of don't cram all the villains into one film, but they don't do it, and it is also bad. I mean, that film is pretty. I mean, I think actually. And Rhino at the end, right? Oh, they yeah. have Rhino come yeah. up, and he's yeah, that was I think, he pops on screen like and a, cuts. Yeah, it was like a cast forward, like we're gonna make another one, and, and they didn't. <laughs> no, I, I. I <laughs> I think that Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is probably worse than Spider-Man 3 because I don't think there are anything, there, are no, there aren't really any likeable elements of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Jamie Foxx is 
pretty appalling in that film. Isn't that the one that ends with uh, uh, Andrew Garfield saying that the, like the, the the lies you can't like the lies you have to break are the best kind or something like some stupid corny line like that because he couldn't like because uh, Emma Stone's dad dies and he makes a promise and can't keep it and says yeah. like yeah but those are the best kind and then that's the end of the film it's like her dad <laughs> oh, no. just died and you're just gonna mutter that loud enough for her to hear I'm no, sorry that... who are you. <laughs> No, that's the, that must be the end of the first one because at the end of the second ones when um, uh, what's her name a- Emma Stone herself dies oh yes no sorry yeah you're right, yeah, whole, absolutely right. Whole, sorry my bad it is the one thing that I think they talked about in a vi- they've talked about in a video I saw recently of like it's the first film that ever pays attention to the real life physics of when you stop someone who's moving at like moving at terminal velocity you will break their neck every time it's the same mm. with the whole like when whenever you see Superman catch someone falling out of a plane, catches Lois Lane, and, and yeah, he'd he cut her, he'd cut her into three pieces <laughs> with his arms. <laughs> All the same, every time you see like Iron Man, the thing in Iron Man as well, when he falls off the top of like Stark Tower, and then suddenly like yeah. gets about three inches on the floor and puts the thrusters on, is absolutely fine. You think his head would have Brain gone through his, his shoulders nose. at that point? <laughs> Brain will come out his nose. <laughs> But yeah, I'm trying to think. Why? Uh, another thing on your um, the one thing I was interested about on your list of least favorite films is you've written Predators down, and I'm trying to. Is it yes. all of the Predators, or is there a specific? No, 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 film? just that film, Predators. There, Which... there was a. So you had the ones like you know. So you obviously have Predator One, Predator Two. There's a. There's like a another one where they tried to. They did so. They did Alien versus Predator, and then they did Alien versus Predator Two, and then they came out with a film called Predators, mm. and essentially. It's like it's the t- typical thing they do with a franchise where they're like, right, okay, so we need a bad guy because the last one was really like OP and really bad, and they managed to like beat it. How are we going to do this, right? Well, instead of like stripping it back and making it like more gritty or something, let's just make an even bigger bad guy. So basically, these people have been like, they just wake up and they're on this, they're in this rainforest and they don't know why they're there, and they. And they, yeah, so they just they're there and they just have to go through this rainforest and they're trying to survive. Or and yeah, it, basically they're the typical thing. They're being hunted by a predator, but they've got to try and defeat it. And it's, I it, yeah, I just it was it was poor. I watched it when it came out because uh, and and yeah, and Adrian Brody tries to play this real tough guy, and he's just not built for it. <laughs> you know, he just I just yeah, it, it, it's a it's a it's a poor film, and I. I watched it in when it came out, and I felt like that just destroyed the franchise. Really did. It does sound a lot like it is rehashing the first one quite a lot. Mm. And again, you have Topher Grace who plays this guy who's just like everyone who's who's been put into the the ra- like the rainforest is supposed to be like really scary, like bad people, like the worst of the worst. Like you have got Lawrence, uh, no, not Lawrence, but one Johnny Trejo who plays like this, you know, the quintessential Danny Trejo player, like you know, character. Sorry, and he just, you know, he's he's a guy. He's like a guy from, you know, he's a gang, uh, and he's you know he's a bad guy. And you've got all these people, and then you've got Topher Grace who just seems so like out of place and everyone's like and you sort of watch the whole film thinking why is he there like they've <laughs> taken all these like assassins and murderers and stuff and then you've got Topher Grace who's just <laughs> this guy with glasses and a hoodie and you don't know why and then like towards the end of the film he he tries to turn on Adrian Brody and he's got a scalpel and Adrian Brody kills him and then <laughs> shock and, and then yeah it's just the it's it, yeah it, and and they do rehash the original one where Adrian Brody covers himself in mud uh, it just yeah I just mm, you watch it and you're just thinking, okay, we get it. You like sequels, but please stop. Have you seen the second um, Predator? Predator yes. 2. So the, oh, I thought you were about to say The Predator, which is Shane Black's one that came out last year. No, The Predator. Mm. So the, the sequel to the original Predator, which also... Yes, is... and is it Danny Glover? Yes, yeah, Danny, Danny Glover. Glover and, in the, and, he's, and he's in, and you like, yeah, there's one in LA. and he's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. So basically what they tried to do is they actually tried to sort of mix... So it's basically they tried to basically mix Lethal Weapon with Predator yes. and did it really, really badly. And it sounds it sounds really good. Like when I read the synopsis, it sounded like a fantastic film. When I watched it, it is not a fantastic film. It's just nope. really, really boring and pointless. And it's yeah, it really is just like a police a bad police procedural, like kind of like um NCIS level police procedural, <laughs> just with a load of predators. It is with the, yeah with some predators, and then the ending is particularly bizarre. And it's very much a kind of jump the shark of like, 
oh, we were going to kill you, but now actually you've earned the respect of the predators, and you know, here you go. Just See, leave. which is nonsense. I'm rebuilding a, a film timeline in my head now, and and it all makes sense. So as a kid, the first one of these films that I watched was Alien vs Predator. Mm. Yeah, and I remember watching it and being like, "This is just like an action film, and it's kind of dark. That's about it. Like, it's not great, but you know, a film's not good when, as a kid, you don't really enjoy it, <laughs> and and you really, but you know, it's not good, especially and... when it's that kind of a film where it's just like we're we're there's aliens and there's predators and they're killing everyone. Like, what's not to enjoy for a young boy? Like, exactly. Yeah, you're like, well, <laughs> it just kind of sucks. But for years, I thought that the Predator films and the Alien films were sequels to Alien vs. Predator, mm. <laughs> or yeah. that they were not sequels, or, or as in prequels, that were meant to culminate in Alien vs. Predator. But no, it's just kind of like a hashed-together crossover. It was originally, yeah. uh, that, weirdly actually, the um, kind of the idea for it originally came from um, a comic book manufacturer who basically had just happened to have the rights to it. And they thought, oh, we'll just make something, we'll just do something, I'll make something up. Well, what properties do we have? Just went through the library and then found, oh, we have Alien, we have Predator, oh, why not just make them have a fight? Just, it was just someone said it like, on, an, on the off chance of doing it. I think it was Dark Horse Comics, actually. The comic became quite popular and then they decided to like, option it for like being made for like, film so basically the only reason it exists is just because some like comic book artist just had the thought one day looking through a list like it was basically generated by committee by dark horse comics it's such a confusing mix because the predators i mean you know alien and the predators are both aliens but the predators are almost human in the way they are they're like the evolved human in the way they hunt whereas the alien the whole idea of the alien is that they can hunt alone they can pick you off one by one they are scary because they lurk in you know dark corners with a spaceship and all that so the fact that they come together it's just really confusing yeah, yeah you take a you take alien and those films and it's you know about this like sort of creepy you're on a on a spaceship on your own and this sort of takes this horror thing and then you take a quintessential arnie film where you know there's a guy in a rainforest he's wearing a tank top because well arnie and it's all these ridiculously muscular people and yeah it's more of an action film than horror and you sort of try and squeeze them both together um and sort of be like well the predator are hunt like the predators are hunting them because like that's their like rite of passage or whatever you want to call it and that's they they collect trophies because that's what they do they hunt things and then the aliens are just killing people because that's what aliens do i just yeah it, it, it's yeah let's just uh you know grab a crowbar and shove that premise in there they really could have added a different element to it, like added a different type of alien. So it could have been alien versus predator versus. You could have had some really weird stuff. I'm trying to think of what the best. I'm trying to think what the best alien, like fictional alien, you could stick in would be. E.T.? Yeah, it's <laughs> alien versus predator versus E.T. Good. <laughs> These aliens are just like, actually, we'll protect him. Yeah. <laughs> this one's kind of nice. The, I have the humans feeling. are going to want to do tests on him again. I have a feeling that E.T. would definitely lose that battle between... Unfortunately, yeah. He'd be the first, he'd be the first person to lose, I think. <laughs> just people just wandering what around trying to find a phone or something and to just get killed by both types <laughs> of aliens at the same time. Yeah, he gets, gets his head blown off while an alien pops out of his chest. Uh, yeah. And before we close, I, the one thing I want to talk about is Lord of the Rings... Because you mention yep. it multiple times. So you say how you love Lord of the Rings, you really dislike The Hobbit, yep. and Fellowship of the Rings specifically is important to you. So yep. what's your um, history with the Lord of the Rings film franchise? Um, so obviously I, so I was, I'm, I'm 26, so I grew up and like, you know, they came out in the cinema and I remember you know, they're going and watching them. Um, so I think a lot of it's sentimentality. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring especially. Um, but yeah, I remember them coming out and watching them and just being, you know, just being amazed and taken back and just being completely immersed in the story and what it is and just finding it. So, yeah, like, yeah, just, like loved how it was done. And then knowing how they did the scenes where you have Ian McKellen and Elijah Wood in the, scene, in the same scene, but they're actually not standing next to each other. They're standing like feet apart, but they've just created a set that makes them look like they're next to each other. So looking back, it's like, it's all... <clears throat> I'm not sort of watching it with the same sort of wonderment, but I, 
I really enjoy re-watching them. So I will do a Lord of the Rings marathon at least once a year. I will watch the extended edition back to back. I'll get up at like eight or nine, start watching them, and just literally that'll be my day at least once a year. I just love those films so much. The first one, The Fellowship of the Ring, I mean, that's we had that on VHS, and every day I was sick um, from like at home. Every day I just didn't, you know, I had, I had nothing else to do. Whatever it was, I would watch Fellowship of the Ring. I've probably seen hmm. it in excess of 100 times, and without, a, you know, without any exaggeration, I've watched it so many times. I could, I, and I could quite happily sit with you and watch it, and I will recite the words along with the film with no problem, and I have absolutely no problem watching them again and again and again. And for a lot of films, I, you know, if I watch it once, that's it, I'm done, I'm never watching it again, and I'm, that's it, I won't pick it up. Not because I don't like the film, but with you know, some films, it's just like, right, well, the whole point is a twist ending. You look at M, any M. Night Shyamalan film, a lot of um, Guy Ritchie's films, um you know usual suspects like films like that they have this big twist and it's like wow like you know all the tensions brought up in that but then you can't really rewatch it but for me lord of the rings has just got that rewatchability and i just love it so i i i just adore the films and i appreciate that some people might find them long and boring but for me i just feel like they are just yeah they've got so much to them and they lend themselves so much and they you know motion capture has exploded because of that and Andy Serkis and obviously he's like the sort of poster child for that. The Hobbit <laughs> I watched them in a cinema now you have a book that is hugely fat, it's three books and they make three films out of them and the you know if you watch the extended edition like fine it's like I think three hours 40, three hours and a half, three and a half hours and four hours and there are massive fight scenes and stuff uh, but in the book they're really short you take a book that is probably the size of one of those books and you try and turn those into the same amount of content and they just put in so many aspects of it that weren't right and i'm sorry but if there's a film that makes ian mckellen cry while he's making it i'm sorry i'm not going to enjoy it so yeah he i just i find that there's just too much cgi it's too much like yeah i just don't it doesn't have the same I, I mean maybe it was because i was watching them when i was older for the first time when i saw them but i just found them not to have that same magic about it. I was watching it and I was thinking, this is, you know, the, the love story between the elf and the dwarf. I, I just, I, I, I don't understand why you would put that in there. It doesn't need a love story. Um, so I just, I can't stand the Hobbit films at all. I've, I've watched them and I watch them again. Now you've said that, actually, it's made me sort of reflect on my own opinions about it because the only ones I've actually seen is I've seen all three Hobbit films and I am on record mm. on the podcast saying on multiple occasions that the second Hobbit film, The Desolation of Smaug, is the worst film I've ever watched in the cinema because it is obscenely mm. long and obscenely boring. And I've yeah. never actually gone back to watch the Lord of the Rings films because I've been sort of like, oh, well, I hate The Hobbit. I can't imagine Lord of the Rings be any good. And I, listening to you say that has made me think maybe I am being unfair and I should actually try and give the original trilogy a go just to see if I do. Maybe watch the first one to see if I can get into it. But I mean, yeah, The Hobbit for me has just been... It's one of the things that... It's, to be honest, I think The Hobbit's probably damaged my ability to watch like Game of Thrones as well. Like, I think The mm. Hobbit's really put me off that kind of like... kind of medieval fantasy kind of film kind of genre if you kind of that if that's yeah i I could agree with you and what what frustrates me as well is the hobbit was originally written to be a child's book so it's meant to be a a book for kids and they try and make it into this exactly they try and make it into this like really you know like sort of like oh really powerful action film and it just it doesn't have this it doesn't have the content they've they've you know they've they've blown it up and it doesn't have the same sort of depth whereas with lord of the rings they've had to cut out characters and things from the book in order to to make the film um and i feel like it's got so much to back it up and so i i had i hadn't read the lord of the rings for because i never really i didn't really like reading all that much when i was a kid um and then over the last few years i sort of put it picked it up and put it down and i finished it um i think sometime sometime early this year like um maybe march and yeah i i've got to say like i i loved reading it and it just has like this depth to it and when I was reading it, like you'd read something and it would just in passing mention like a king or like, you know, something and you and I'd be like, OK, well, who's that? So I'd do some research and then I'd find out, OK, so there's this like other race and it'd be like, OK, well, they're descended from this person. And then you find out and it, all of this like backstory um, and J.R.R. Tolkien like had so much like content that he'd written in his notes and all of this stuff, which got put into like the Silmarillion and so on, because he just written all of it. Like Elvish stands up as an, a legitimate language because of the way that it follows and the way that it has this consistency. It's not just like a made up language that sort of just can be done, but like Elvish in the way that it worked. It's 
an actual you know it can it works it's it copies the patterns of an actual language and just the amount of depth that he went into writing it i think it's just so so great and i yeah i just i love the films and i don't watch the theatrical versions because i feel like well, now that i've seen the extended version so many times it just i feel like there's i always watch it and then like there's like a 20 minute scene missing or like a five minute scene missing and it, it just suddenly doesn't have the same effect so yeah i think it, yeah like re-watching them for me is like great but other people you know if, if you know josh, if josh watches them you know again and doesn't like them i mean aside from being dead to me that's that's fine you know, that's, <laughs> you know. so yeah no i i yeah i mean different people different strokes for different folks and you know if, if if it means that you know that but i think a lot of the impact that the film had and the way that it was made and the, knowing little like little bits about it so you know little trivia about it so in the two towers when they're chasing after the hobbit um when you've got uh gimme legless and aragorn and aragorn kicks the helmet and he screams out they'd done like so many takes of him kicking the helmet and they just weren't he getting broke the he broke his toe. He broke his toe, gave him my scream. And they're like, well done, Vigo. That was amazing. And he was like, I've broken my toe. <laughs> you know, just those brilliant things. Uh, you know, a little bit of trivia uh, about it. And the, just, yeah, just the story about it and the character development, I feel, is so powerful. Um, I just, yeah, I just, for me, those films are, like, are untouchable, but there's a huge amount of sentimentality behind it. Yeah, I'll definitely give it a go. I think I, I will. I will get around to it. Like I will. I will get around mm. to watching the Lord of the Rings and not let my opinions of the Hobbit cloud it. And I will, I'm sure I'll get back at some point on the podcast and explain my thoughts afterwards. But I hope. I hope I enjoy. It. Like I, I'm going to go into it with an open mind because I would like to be able to get into that kind of like more fantasy kind of like films because I think there are probably some good ones out there. And I, I think it's probably not great for like three fairly bad films to put me off an entire genre for the rest of my life i think i need to i need to cleanse the palate and maybe uh, lord of the rings is the way to do that before i attempt what is it like seven seasons of game of thrones and yeah just I, to bring yeah, it full circle sorry oh yeah season eight yeah <laughs> no <laughs> but to bring don't. it full circle lord of the rings um is quite similar to rocky in the sense that while Rocky doesn't focus on so much on the boxing, but on the people, Lord of the Rings, at its core, is about the people. Well, they're not human, some of them, but it's yeah about the the shared experiences they have, and not so much the war. Yeah, I think you know it's the it's the tale of the land. So it's it's a land that's recovering from a dark lord, and you know, and then uh and then sauron comes along and takes advantage and then he dies well doesn't die but you know it's and it's about the story and what it happens and the effect that it has on you know the relationships they have so they start off being innocent and you know adventurous and wanting to go see the world and then by the end of it you know sam and sam just he's this complete nutter innocent like light-hearted character who perfectly resembles what a hobbit should be like unlike some of the others because they're supposed to be a bit you know a bit you know, rotund a little bit, you know, and just a bit, you know, not, not the brightest, uh, but just brave and, 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 and yeah, and just that, that innocence and that beauty that's supposed to be. So for instance, in the books and stuff, they, you know, they, they don't mind being like naked in front of each other and there's nothing like suspect about it. It's just this sort of innocent beauty that that's about it. Um, but now they're, you know, and by the end of it, he just, he's done, you know, he, he was all up for going for an adventure with, with his, with his, you know, his boss, not his friend, because Frodo is, you know, he, he tends his garden. It doesn't do anything like they're not friends. Um, but then they look after uh, just the, the, you look at them at the end and they're just completely broken. I just love how, yeah, how it came out. Yeah, by the war. Yeah. And then is 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 just walk nonstop the whole way across Middle Earth and, you know, you go, some of the battle ones like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, and they're not as changed, but, you know, even with like Gandalf. So, you know, he plays this wizard who's done this and he's, he, his whole job is to, you know, the whole work job of like the wizards in the world to main balance and peace and, you know, purity and good and make sure that evil doesn't prevail. And his life work, life work is complete and goes off to the undying lands at the end. Uh, yeah. I just think that the relationships and the effects they have, you can, it takes their toll on, on the people and you can just see it. They just, the end of it yeah and on that rather uh, concluding note um, i think it's probably time yes for us to finish <laughs> the podcast there uh thank you very much for coming on torv my pleasure you did mention earlier you don't really do any kind of writing or anything like that but if there is anything you no. want to promote feel free to uh have your moment now before we conclude um no i've not, I've not got anything coming up i'm uh yeah I'm, I'm just in manchester waiting for my wedding and 
uh, by the time it gets to this coming out, it will have gone, so I can't really promote that either. But if you want <laughs> to buy me a gift or send me some money as a wedding gift, I will uh, put my bank details in an email. <laughs> um, but please, please make sure you put your um, your national insurance number. And I think you told me what street you grew up on and what your childhood pet was, but I can't remember. Just tell the people so, you know, <laughs> it's all works yeah, make out. That, make, make that known. Yeah, I gave the information to a, uh, a prince. He emailed me the other day, uh, but I, I'm more than happy to write it down. Oh, you got Bitcoin. Yeah, did did uh, Joe Biden send you some Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and on that note of our Twitter, you can find me there, uh, not tweeting out um, my d- Bitcoin details, at Josh Sandy. And you can also find me on Instagram and Letterboxd, at Josh W. Sandy. And you can find all my Bitcoin scams all over social media. So my Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, they're all to buy sore. So follow me on there and I might give you some Bitcoin. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>